Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to two openings of Scripture tonight. Mark chapter 5 and Acts chapter 14. Mark chapter 5, Acts chapter 14. We're going to read um, uh, a little bit from, uh, uh, from both these uh, openings. And um, I want you to see uh, both the comparisons and the contrasts in two events of healing. One that happens in Jesus' ministry and one that happens in Paul's ministry. Mark chapter 5, we'll start reading in verse 25. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment for she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him. Now the King James says virtue, but if you look it up in the Greek, it's literally the word power. It's the word dynamite. It's where we get our, our English word dynamite. So it's, it's, uh, I'm going to translate it power. I wish the translators had done a better job with this word here rather than virtue because that, uh, uh, that really speaks more to character than it does to, um, to power. But anyway, it says, and Jesus immediately, verse 30, Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Now in Acts chapter 14, we'll start reading here in verse 6, speaking of Paul and his company and the, the plot against them to stone them in the towns that they were in before. It says in verse 6, Acts chapter 14, verse 6, they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and under the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who, steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. Now, I want you to notice that in both of these cases, faith is the activator for the power of God. The power of God heals, heals in uh, both individuals, both situations. It's the power of God that performs the healing. But in both cases, it's the, it's the faith of the individual that both activates and receives of that power of God. Now, in Mark chapter 5, it tells us about Jesus on his, on his way. Uh, actually, if you read the, the context and the remainder of the chapter, you'll find out that, uh, that Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house to minister to his daughter. And on the way, the woman comes in from behind him and touches him and interrupts the whole plan. Now, I don't mean by that that God was upset about that, but it, it's not the way that, that it was expected to go. And Jesus apparently was not expecting anybody, uh, in, or at least her, in this condition to, uh, to interrupt the, the proceedings where he's on his way to Jairus' house. Because he, he doesn't know who it is, he has to stop and try to search for who it is and what's, uh, what's going on and what happened and so forth. The only thing Jesus knows is he's on his way down the road and something, someone, touches him and, and pulls power out of Jesus. And he knows that if somebody pulled up powers for a specific reason. And somebody's received something from God. Now whether he knows that somebody was healed or not. We don't know specifically. We would assume so. We would assume that Jesus is familiar enough with the power of God. To recognize that it was healing power that went out of him. But the Bible doesn't specifically say that. It just says Jesus turned him about in the press and said who touched my clothes. 
or who touched me? The disciples say, well, everybody's touching you. Well, let me ask you a question. If everybody's touching Jesus, how come, not, how come the power of God's not going into everybody? Because she's the only one that's identified in the whole crowd that touched him in faith. So her faith activates for her what other people's situation did not activate for them. Apparently, she's the only one that touches Jesus in faith. I find it hard to believe that she's the only sick person in the crowd. If so, it'd be the first crowd that Jesus ever had where there was only one sick person. So I have to assume that there are other sick people. Maybe people in just as critical conditions as her that we don't know about. Maybe having just as life-threatening situations as she did. Maybe they've, they've spent all they had on doctors too. Maybe they've had their conditions for longer than she had. We don't know. But what we do know is that one person drew on and received the power of God that was apparently upon Jesus as he walked down the road. When that person drew on that power of God, Jesus knew it. He recognized it. He knew what happened in, in him and he, or what, happened, what went out of him, I guess is a better way to say it. And so he turned around and said, who touched my clothes? And then in verse 34, he credits her faith as doing the job. Now, you know as well as I do that the power of God raised her up. But Jesus doesn't credit the power of God as doing it. He credits her faith as activating and receiving that power. So her faith was activated. How? When she heard of Jesus. She came in the press behind and she, for she said, if I can touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. So we see her faith in action. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11 that faith is believing in the heart and saying with the mouth. Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the power of God or hearing by the word of God. So she heard of Jesus. She must have heard that Jesus was healing, that Jesus was a healer, that he was sent to the earth to heal. And as a result, she takes a hold of that for herself. And she says, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Now, folks, I want you to understand there's nothing special about this woman that necessitated faith Whereas other people in the same crowd didn't have it. It's not that they couldn't have had it. It's that they didn't make the same choice she made. I doubt very seriously if the people are in that crowd have heard anything less about Jesus than she heard. Else why would they be in the crowd? Why would they be reaching out to touch him? They must have heard that Jesus has healing power. They must have heard that Jesus has delivering power. They're reaching out to get something from him. As he goes down the road, the disciples are the ones that are the testi- the, uh, give us testimony of that. They said, everybody's touching you. Master, thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me. In other words, everybody's trying to touch you. Well, if everybody's trying to touch him, why didn't everybody get something? Why is she the only one that gets anything? Jesus says it's her faith. And that faith came by hearing about Jesus. Now, in Acts chapter 14, it's a totally different situation. To- there are similarities, but there are differences too. Let's look at the similarities. It said, there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet. That means he was crippled from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak. Now, what is Paul speaking? Verse 7 said, they preached the gospel. Again, Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. The fact that the man had faith to be healed, Paul perceived that he had faith to be healed, absolutely identifies that the gospel that Paul preached included healing. If Paul is preaching water baptism, he's not going to have faith to be healed. If Paul's preaching tithing, he's not going to have faith to be healed. There's only one way for him to have faith to be healed, and that is for him to have heard Paul preach about healing as being a work or a part of the work of Jesus on the cross. And the Holy Ghost calls that in verse chapter, chapter 7 of Acts chapter 14 
the Holy Ghost caused that preaching the gospel. Now, I know a lot of people don't agree with that. A lot of churches nowadays will say that they're, they stick to the important things, like getting people saved. Well, the Holy Ghost considered the gospel to include healing. Has God changed? My Bible says God never changes. That means what the Holy Ghost called the gospel in Acts chapter 14 is what he would call the gospel today. Well, what about if we're just preaching Jesus crucified for salvation? What if we're just talking about the forgiveness of sins? Is that the gospel? Well, it's part of it. But it's not what the Holy Ghost called the gospel in Paul's day. And what happens? The same heard Paul speak. Who? Paul, steadfastly beholding him, the crippled man, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. Now, we don't know exactly how Paul knew that the guy had faith. I know in my own experience, you can see when somebody gets a hold of something, their face lights up. It could be something just that simple. Paul could have looked at the guy and recognized, man, this guy's got it. Or he might have had a spiritual perception. He might have had some kind of information from the Holy Ghost. I doubt very seriously if it was a word of knowledge or else the Holy Ghost would have given us the information that it was a word of knowledge. It would have told us something that at least told us that Paul knew by the Spirit that he had faith to be healed. It doesn't tell us that, so it must have been at least a spiritual perception or maybe just something that Paul saw in the man himself. That caused him to recognize faith. And so when this man has faith. When this man is perceived to have faith. Paul simply says with a loud voice. Stand upright on your feet. And he does. Now here are the similarities. Faith was necessary on the part of both individuals. The woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5. And the crippled man in Acts chapter 14. Here's the difference. In Acts chapter 14. There's no body that that power is transmitted through. Mark chapter 5, Jesus is touched by the woman with the issue of blood. And he, she feels power go into her. He feels power go out of him. And he stops and finds out who did it and, find, and identifies the woman through her story. She tells him all the truth. What about Acts chapter 14? Acts chapter 14, there is no transmitter of the healing power of God. The crippled man receives it directly on his own from God himself without having to pass through any other human being. Paul simply says with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he does. Leaps and walks. Now, which one is a better way? Folks, I want you to understand that God is not limited by just one method of healing. There are all kinds of different ways for, for people to receive their healing. But it all comes down to a single common denominator, or at least in 99% of the cases, and that is faith on the part of the individual. But the faith on the part of the individual, well, let me ask it this way. Which, who had more faith? The cripple in Acts chapter 14 or the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5? Who had more faith? Anybody willing to jump out there and say one had more than the other? I'm certainly not. The Holy Ghost doesn't give us that information. I don't feel qualified to say which one had the greater amount of faith or the greater measure of faith in operation. Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. The Holy Ghost said, that the man had faith, received faith to be healed by hearing Paul preach. Very seldom, very seldom does God ever talk about faith in amounts. He does talk about faith in terms of strength. I think we could agree that both had strong faith, strong enough faith to receive at least. Amen. Now, I know that from, uh, from working with Brother Hagen, well, I'll tell you what, turn back with me to Luke chapter 4. Let me, let me read some scripture to you first before I make some of those comments. Luke chapter 4. 
It tells us that after Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River, he was tempted by the devil. And following the temptation, it says in verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee. And there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Now, it tells us about him coming to his own hometown of Nazareth, verse 16. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. It's Isaiah 61 for us. But he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down in the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue. Were fastened on him and he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, that's King James English for saying this is talking about me. Now, the people there have a problem with that. They say, wait a minute, we knew this guy. He grew up with us. How could he claim to be the one that this is talking about? Because everybody knew that these verses were referring to the Messiah. And Jesus did not fit their idea of how the Messiah was to come. And so they said, how could this be? Now, let me ask you a question. When it says in verse 14, and and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Get that phrase, the power of the Spirit. What does he preach? He went into the synagogues and taught. The first thing that he did after he received the Holy Spirit, after he returned in the power of the Spirit, was to teach. Why did he teach when he has the power of the Spirit upon him? Because faith is necessary for people to receive of the power. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So what does he do? He teaches in his own hometown of Nazareth. This is not the first place that he went to. He had already been to Capernaum. He says here later on, I know what you're going to ask me. The people of Nazareth, he said to them, he said, I know what you're going to ask me. Do the same works as you did in Capernaum, then we'll believe. So he's had to be, he has to have gone to Capernaum, but Luke doesn't tell us about that. We know he's done miracles and signs and wonders in Capernaum, things that they've heard about, but Luke doesn't give us that, that information. Some of the other gospel writers do. So it's not the first place that Jesus went. But when he comes to Nazareth, the first time he returns to Nazareth, after he's been anointed of the Holy Ghost, after he's been baptized by John in the Jordan River and the Holy Ghost comes upon him, notice the first thing that Jesus taught. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. Now, the power of the Spirit is what he returned in, and he says, I'm anointed. Please notice those three terms are interchangeable when it comes to the healing power of God. Power, Spirit, and anointing. They all mean exactly the same thing. It's talking about a work of the Holy Ghost to set people free. Power, spirit, and anointing. Now, if Jesus is going to Nazareth for the first time since he's been born, since he, since he's been born again, since he's been baptized by John in the Jordan River, and he taught that he was anointed, what do you think he taught in Capernaum or, and maybe the other cities that he's been to first? He's obviously trying to get Nazareth to receive of the power of the spirit that's upon him, Right? So what does he teach? He teaches from the Old Testament. Has to take an Old Testament scripture. That's all they had. So he takes an Old Testament scripture that says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel. He's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted and set people free. Set at liberty to them that are bruised and so forth. So if Jesus did that in Nazareth, why would we assume that he did something else or something otherwise in Capernaum or the other, and or the other cities that he went to first? In fact, 
the fact that the Bible tells us that Jesus has already been to Capernaum by what he says in Nazareth indicates to me that the works that he got, the works that he accomplished in in, uh, Capernaum would have been a good benchmark for here's how to make it work. Wouldn't he want to duplicate that in Nazareth? Why would he teach something different in Nazareth than what got him results in Capernaum? Folks, forgive me if I'm belaboring this point, but I want you to understand, Jesus preached this same message from Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel and to heal the brokenhearted and so forth. He preached this same message the first city that he, the first time that he went to every city he went to. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If he can't get people to believe he's anointed, he can't get the power to work. And that's evidence right here in, that, in Luke chapter 4 because he can't get the home, his hometown of Nazareth, the people of Nazareth, he can't get them to believe. Mark chapter 6 tells us the account of what happens in Nazareth, the end result of what happens in Nazareth. Verse 5 of Mark chapter 6, he says, and he could there in Nazareth, he could there in Nazareth do my, no mighty works. Save or accept that he laid his hands on a few folks with minor ailments and got them healed. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He couldn't get them to believe. He told them the same truth that he told them in Capernaum when Capernaum believed. And what does he preach? What does he teach in their synagogues? He taught that he was the the anointed one. He taught that the power of the spirit was upon him. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, the son of God, would have to have people believe that the power of the spirit was upon him in order for the power of the spirit to work. Yet people nowadays think, well, if God's in the healing business, why didn't he just heal? Well, if God was in the healing business in Jesus' day, which we know he was, why didn't he just heal in Nazareth? Can you see how necessary faith is? But faith is the the common denominator. Faith is the necessary ingredient, not the individual. In Jesus' case, he is the anointed one, so he says, these scriptures are talking about me. Paul didn't go to Lystra and preach that he was anointed. Paul went to Lystra and preached Jesus was the anointed one who went to the cross and paid the price for sin and death. And that included healing for the physical body. And that generated faith on the part of the individual, not in Paul, but in Jesus and his finished work. And that faith was sufficient To both activate and receive of the healing power of God for a a paralyzed situation, a a condition of paralysis that had been lifelong. Now look at Luke chapter 6. You're right there in Luke chapter 4. Look over in Luke chapter 6. Let's start reading in verse 17. It says, and he came down with them and stood in the plain and the company of his disciples and a great multitude. How many is that? When you say a great multitude, what do you think? You think hundreds? You think thousands? What do you think? I don't know. I think I'm certain that there, uh, as far as what they tell us, there are more people alive today than that were alive in Jesus' day. So great multitudes may have been hundreds. Where we would think of being thousands. I don't know. But anyway, the Bible calls it. God considered it to be a great multitude. That's enough people as far as I'm concerned. And a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came, notice this phrase, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Notice they didn't just come to be healed. 
They came both to hear him and to be healed. Now, why was that? Did they understand that healing was a result of hearing? Did they understand that? I'm, I'm not willing to jump out on that limb. We do know that Jesus told some parables about hearing. Mark chapter 4. The sower sows the word. Take heed how you hear. The attention that you give to the word is the attention that, or is the, the, uh, the determining factor for the results that you get. But even the disciples didn't understand that one. He had to explain that to them privately. So it's going to be an unusual and a very sharp individual that understands that hearing is connected to the healing. But even the people that came with diseases didn't just come to get healed. They did come to get healed. But that wasn't the only thing they came for. They came not only to be healed, but they came also to hear what Jesus had to say. What does that tell us? That tells us they recognize something different about this guy. If he's just a healer, if that's all he amounts to, he's just a healer, then people could have gone selfishly or for their own selfish purposes and said, okay, well, I'm going to go take a hold of the healing. We don't have any record in Mark chapter 5 that the woman with the issue of blood came to hear him, but only to be healed by him. And even that, it wasn't necessary for Jesus to do anything on his own. She just said, if I can touch his clothes, I'll be healed. But she's already heard. The thing that created that kind of faith to begin with was the fact that she has already heard. I wish people could get a hold of this. If you can't get people to hear, you can't get them healed. No matter how much you want them to be. I know it's this way with family members and loved ones. Man, how many times do we want them to hear, but they won't? We want them to hear because we want them to be healed. And so we try to push hearing on them. Here, listen to this tape. Watch this video. And they're not concerned. They don't don't care. And if you can't get them to hear, you can't get them healed. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So they came to hear and be healed. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed. Now notice verse 19. And the whole multitude. I don't know how big that crowd is, but it's a great multitude. But it says the whole multitude. Everybody. The whole multitude sought to touch him. For there went virtue. Here's this word power again. Dynamon. Here's this word power. The whole multitude sought to touch him. For there went power out of him and healed them all. We could say since power, spirit, and anointing are interchangeable terms when it comes to the healing ministry of Jesus. We could say there went the spirit out of him and healed them all. Or we could say there went the anointing out of him and healed them all. So in Mark chapter 4, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 5, the woman with issue of blood, and here in Luke chapter 6, we see Jesus making contact. We see the power of God going through Jesus as a conduit. It's not Jesus himself. If that were the case, then he wouldn't have to return in the power of the Spirit. He wouldn't have to be anointed. But in fact, he is the conduit. He's the carrier. He's the vehicle whereby the power of the Spirit of God Or the healing anointing of God is transferred to people. Now that's not the only way Jesus ministered. But that's the one that we're focusing on right now as far as his individual ministry is concerned. Jesus got more people healed by laying hands on them. Or or making contact with them in some way or another. Than anything else we have record of in the four gospels. It's not the only way he ministered. Sometimes he cast out uh, the, the evil spirits and healed people by the word. 
without touching them. But most of the time that we have record of, Jesus made contact, physical contact in some way or another. Paul didn't touch anybody. At least not in Acts chapter 14. Now, which one had a greater healing ministry? Well, I, I, don't, I wouldn't take sides against Jesus on anything, would you? But you sure can't say Paul was a slouch when it came to healing, if nothing else from that Acts chapter 14 situation. Now, it seems to me that Paul's found the secret to success just like Jesus found the secret to success in Capernaum. Jesus went everywhere, and the first time he went into a town, he preached that he was the anointed one. He's the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. In other words, he's saying, I've got the power of God upon me. And this is talking about me. These scriptures that are talking about the Messiah is talking about me. I'm the one with the power of God upon him. People believe that for the most part. People believe that. And he was able to heal the sick. Nearly everywhere that he went. With very few exceptions. Chorazin and Bethsaida, he couldn't get anything done in those towns. And so he cursed them. Nazareth, he couldn't get anything done there. And he marveled because of their unbelief. But in just about every other place that he went to, he was able to get people healed because they heard and knew who he was. They heard the truth about him being anointed of the Holy Ghost, and so they received of that power. And that's why he was so famous. That's why everybody had heard about him. In many cases, he got to towns and they already knew he's the anointed one. Paul's secret to success is going and tasting people in most of the places he went to, most of the towns and cities he went to, he started in the synagogues with the Jews and he told them from the Old Testament. He reasoned with them according to the scriptures to prove, I know the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And then after a certain period of time, when he gained the confidence of the people, then he testified Jesus is the Messiah, the one that the Old Testament talks about. And at that point, most of the Jews turned away from him and tried to kick him out of the synagogues. And so he went to another place and began to, to minister healing and, and uh, uh, tell about the finished work of Jesus. That was the foundation of the church. Outside of Jerusalem at least. You know this reminds me. These two ways to minister. Remind me of Smith Wigglesworth and John G. Lake. Because John G. Lake. Laid hands on nearly everybody. And there were many many times. Where he talked about the power of God going out of him. There were times where his hands would burn. There were times where he even laid hands on people. And it burned an imprint. In one case there was a. a um, purplish tumor type thing that somebody had on the side of their face and he laid hands on it and it left, a, it left an imprint, a hand imprint on this thing and within just a matter of a few hours that thing fell off and there was new skin underneath. Well, that sounds a lot like Jesus. Power went out of him through the contact of his hands. But Smith Wigglesworth didn't lay hands on anybody. He would sometimes anoint them with oil but even then he wasn't, he wasn't laying hands on them. He'd just douse them with oil. Maybe dab his finger in oil and touch their forehead or something like that. But it wasn't really a ministry of laying on of hands. His was a ministry of faith. He was many times, most times, he was just declare somebody to be healed. In many cases, and if depending on the size of the crowds and the, the logistics of the situation, somebody else would anoint him with oil and he would just speak over them healing. And in other cases, he didn't anoint him at all, didn't touch him at all. There were times where he would speak from a platform many situations he'd speak to somebody maybe in a wheelchair or on a stretcher or something like that speak to them sometimes they were instantly healed sometimes they came back the next day healed sometimes three days later healed whatever but his was more of a ministry of speaking the word of god operating in faith 
Now, which of them had a greater healing ministry, Lake or Wigglesworth? I'm not qualified to say. They both turned the world upside down. They're part of the world upside down. Folks, the point is this. When you have faith in God, the other individual and anybody else doesn't matter. Let me ask you this. How many of you were saved because you prayed and somebody laid hands on you? Nobody. It's not the way salvation comes. Why? Because salvation is a matter of faith between you and God. There is no go-between other than Jesus between you and God the Father. And Jesus is not physically here on the earth anymore. So it's not necessary for anybody to lay hands on you. It's not necessary for the contact of any other man's hands to be upon you. Or to come in contact with you to receive the saving power of God. The new birth experience. Now, what's the difference in saving power and healing power? Isn't it in the work of the Holy Ghost both ways? What's the difference? There is no difference in, in itself. There might be a difference in procedure according to the, the way that God is moving, the direction that God is moving at that particular time. But there is no difference in essence between receiving salvation and receiving healing. The important ingredient is faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. I know that working with Brother Hagin, there'd be times, and, and I, I, I had to learn this. I didn't know it going in. And, but after a period of time working with him for, for you know, several years, uh, within about the first year, I figured out what was going on. There would be times where he would, um, where he would minister to people, and he ministered in different ways. There would be times where the Lord would direct him to tell about the vision that he had, where the Lord appeared to him and put the... Right, the finger of his right uh, hand and the palms of each one of his hands. Brother Hagin said his hands began to burn like they was holding the coal of fire. Uh, the Lord spoke to him and said, this is a healing anointing to lay hands on the sick. He was giving him a ministry of laying on of hands. That's one reason why Brother Hagin would ha- lay hands on people for just about everything. He'd lay hands on them to, to, to receive the Holy Ghost, which is scriptural. He'd lay hands on people just to bless them. He'd lay hands on people for all kinds of different things because he had a ministry of laying on of hands. Not everybody has that. Everybody can lay hands on the sick, for example. We're all commissioned to do that, but not everybody has a special ministry of laying on of hands. That's one reason that God chose Ananias in Acts chapter 9 to go to Paul after Paul had been blinded by the glory of the light when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus because Ananias had a ministry of laying on of hands. He went in and laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, who, who appeared to you in the way, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias had a ministry of laying on of hands. You don't see Peter laying hands on most, much of anybody. There was Acts chapter 3 where he, he and John grabbed the guy by the hand and lifted him up. But outside of that, most of Peter's experience in healing is just through the spoken word. I don't think people realize some of the things and some of the ways that God uses people, some of the different ways that God uses people. We just think that it's all the same and and shake it up in the same sack and pour it out on the table and say, well, it's all the same. And it's not. So there'd be times where Brother Hagin would would act in accordance with what the Lord told him. And the Lord did tell him at the time that he appeared to him and laid the finger of his right hand in the palm of each one of his hands. He told him, now, when you tell people that I appeared to you, tell them. That I appeared to you. Tell them that I told you. You have a special anointing to minister healing to the sick. He said if they'll believe that. Then that anointing will work for them. Now there were a lot of people that wouldn't believe it. 
And so there would be times when the Lord would impress upon Brother Hagin. Not every night that we were out in crusades or anything else. But there would be times, usually once during the week, where the Lord would impress upon Brother Hagin to tell the testimony of when the Lord appeared to him. And when he would, then he would, anoint, he would uh, operate under the anointing. And under that anointing, man, there would be a healing line with hundreds of people, sometimes up to a thousand people at any given time. And he'd go as fast as he could trying to, trying to get to everybody before that anointing waned because it wouldn't last all night. And it wouldn't last. It didn't matter how many people were there as far as how long it lasted. There would be times where Brother Hagin would stop in the middle of the, the healing line and say, well, that's it. The anointing lifted. Now, I can pray for you. I can lay hands on you in faith, just like any other believer, but that anointing is gone. He was very honest, very upfront with people about that. But there would be other times where the Lord would not impress upon him to minister with the anointing. And instead, he would have people that he'd be laying hands on. We saw this in healing school over and over again. He'd bring people up to the front and lay hands on them. And he'd start off, and he'd take them by the wrist. He'd hold their wrists. Or he's holding both, uh, both hands, both wrists. And he'd start talking to them. He'd ask him, now, have you been to the doctor? Uh, what did the doctor say? How long have you had this? Anything. And I finally learned he's just wasting time. He's just stalling. Now, I don't mean that in a bad way. Because I found out that when he would, lay, when he would do that and he'd hold people's wrists, that anointing, that healing anointing, not the same anointing that, that would work when he would tell the story, but the same healing anointing that every believer has, you remember Jesus said in John chapter 7, he said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink, and out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Remember that in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39? Well, the Holy Ghost is like a river on the inside of you. Not a singular river, but a plural. Rivers of living water. Well, one of those rivers is a healing river. There are prayer rivers. There are praise rivers. Different ways that the Holy Ghost will manifest through you. But one of those is a healing river. You need to understand something folks. The greater one that's on the inside of you. He is a healing spirit. He will guide you into all healing. He'll show you what to do if you'll let him. He'll show you what adjustments need to be made if any. He'll show you what steps to take. He'll show you what to do. If you'll trust in him. Well, Brother Hagin recognized, and he just had faith in this. He just had faith in, in uh, not because he had a special anointing to minister to the sick, not because Jesus appeared to him and he had a vision, but because he was a believer, just like you and me. And so he believed for that healing river to go out of him and into them. Any believer can do that and should. So he'd hold them by the wrist. And I, I learned, over a period of time, I learned that he's just stalling for time. He's letting that healing river go, flow out of him and into them. He described it this way one time. He said uh, there was uh, somebody that came up to, to have hands laid on them at uh, healing school. And Brother Hagin reached out to take a hold of their hands. And before he got a hold of their hands, this person just flew backwards. Nobody touched them. Flew backwards into the front row of chairs, just similar to the way we have here. They didn't have them angled, but they were straight across the front. Somebody flew up into the first row of chairs and everybody's dodging, you know, and chairs are crashing and that kind of stuff. Nobody touched him. He flew back probably, I don't know, eight feet or so. There wasn't a whole lot of room in there, but there was enough room for, to have a healing line. So it must have been eight, maybe ten feet, something like that. And people were just shocked. And so everybody's looking around. Brother Hagin said, wow, that wasn't unexpected. He said, I was intending to lay hands on them. I was going to hold on to their wrists. 
and minister the, the healing river of God through me as a believer, just as a believer. He said, there's no special anointing that I was aware of. But he said, as soon as I got close to him, he said, that river didn't just come out of my hands. It came out of my whole body. Next thing I knew, they were flying backwards. Well, he didn't control that. Nobody controls that. But it manifests when you have faith in it. What rivers flow out of you? Or is the Holy Ghost deficient in you? Do you get a half dose? Maybe you only got the complaining river. There's no such thing from God. I know a lot of people that have the complaining river, but it's not from God. Out of his belly, his innermost being shall flow rivers, rivers of living water. What rivers flow out of you? Jesus said that there would be rivers that came out of you. What are they? Oh, folks, we have done so little when it comes to realizing, manifesting, and even allowing the Spirit of God, the healing manifestation, the healing power of God to work through us. We've done so little. But I believe that day's changing. I believe things are changing. I believe it's time for those rivers to flow. That's what Lake used to pray. Lake used to pray that that healing would flow like a river and salvation would rise as the tide. So what do you have? Healings and salvations. God's still in the healing and saving business, folks. Still is. So no matter how God uses us, God will use us. Let's pray.